and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, we've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. Well, baby, I can't stay, you got to roll me and call me the tumbling rock. Call me and call me the tumbling dice now, baby. Very, very cool. Yes. Right? Stones right there. Yes. Yeah, that's dude. one of my favorite tunes. So, funny enough, like, so that's out of Exile on Main Street, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. So, it's the Stones, like, I love the Stones, but, like, they're one of those bands where so many of the songs I'm like, I know this song, I'm singing along, and I don't necessarily know what the title is, you know? It's, it's like the opposite of when I'm listening to a lot of, like, classic rock, and it's like, I know all these songs, but I couldn't tell you who's singing half of them right now, necessarily, you know? Don't shoot me. When you say Exile, I'm thinking Taylor Swift. A little earlier. But, anyway, Tumbling Dice. Hello, everybody. DM Dave, rock and roll DM. We are back with another, I mean, very special... There. We've just been having special episode after, but this is not a special episode. This is just. Are you that. sure? I think you're. Yeah, this is, we're just. It yeah, feels just, pretty special. Yeah, we're just spitballing here. We got some ideas of things that we've been playing with, and tumbling dice is very apropos for what we're talking about, because we're gonna start out kind of this idea that we've begun playing with. We actually just did it in uh, Tony's Halloween game that he kind of ran. That was also a birthday game. So, as you guys know, we're super into these birthday games now. Like, everyone gets one. <laughs> and we're going full out. Um, we created a monster. Yeah. We really did. <laughs> and then we, we kind of put it up with a, with a Halloweenish game. So, Tony ran a very high-level murder mystery, uh, which was based because Jen, his girlfriend, is a huge fan of Clue and puzzle games and mystery games and things like that. She She has that kind of mind. So Tony kind of created Clue for D&D, and it got us talking about when we when we have and when we want to take cool games that we know, board games that we know, other game mechanics, and how do we mod them into our D&D session to just create more fun, more immersion, something different, something that, that grabs the attention of the players at the table and just makes it fun. And I mean, I'll I'll start it off just saying, you know, we're literally doing this with the first time that the 5e has done this with the Dragonlands campaign. And we're playing with the Companion Warriors of Kryn board strategy game along with it that plays in with the adventure itself. So before we jump into the whole murder mystery thing we did uh, a Christmas or two ago, Dave ran kind of a board game he implemented at Christmas. You know, what I'm talking oh. about. In yes, a, li- a little bit. It was a little bit. I had a board, in essence, that I used for the North. You're talking about the Curse of Strahd one with the North Pole? Yes. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. I was thinking about that one, too, as a good example. Yeah. yeah. So I had – I decided because Christmas games, we were doing a lot of different Christmas games and Halloween games and holiday games. And I just got the bug, so I decided to do it in Curse of Strahd. I know we've talked about it before, but I just had the party – enter through the megaliths which as you guys remember the megaliths in our curse of strahd campaign i had built into thorin's character actually phineas they were in essence a transport conduit to different planes of existence 
to the Feywild, to the, the, the elemental planes, to the Shadowfell. And this was a way to the North Pole. And this was a way um, all elemental things go into the North Pole at some point. But this was a way to introduce further things that were going to play into the end game with Vampire and, and all of that, uh, but in a way that was fun for Christmas. So, yeah, so I grabbed a uh, that was the Charlie Manx one, right? Yeah. 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 Where I did it. I So I based it off of the Nosferatu book and TV series. I've never read the book by Joe Hill, but I, I watched the TV series and I loved it about the vampire. I was like, oh, he's a Christmas vampire. It's Christmas time. And this was also a way for me to throw it's right a there. vampire lord at you guys at around, you know, 12th level or 13th level, whatever it was, you know. But yeah, I guess that that was kind of a board in a little bit and kind of a it had games within it, too. And I think that's kind of the key to it. Right. Like, that's what really makes this kind of stuff sing is that we're in there. But the games you were your characters were playing the games. Right. Like it wasn't like that. They had an element. It changed a bit of the aesthetic. Right. Like it's like you're playing on a board and it's a little bit different. But it's your characters traveling around there and playing these different games themselves, really. Like, I think, you know, that's the one thing. Like, the Warriors of Crate is cool, but that would be my one thing is that it's not, you know, it's like it's Resquato, but it's not Resquato. It's like mm. Bard. You know, it's like a Bard, whereas I thought those Bard guys really had a good line towards, uh, you know, being that it was like, it was cool because it's my character doing it. It's not necessarily me having to do these things, so... Mm. Yeah. What I liked about that game was the board looked fun. It immediately said, this is the Christmas game. It encouraged yeah. exploration, and it changed the kind of rules. And, you know, with these palate cleansing kind of games, it's great because it changes the pace. You know, we've been dungeon crawling. We've been going through catacombs. You know, we've been burning down windmills, all this heavy, tense stuff. And now we're playing games for prizes at Christmas time, trying to save Santa Claus. The, and, the prizes were a little bit kind of twisted, though, or something. There was kids in, like, well, ornaments or something. <laughs> but he made yeah. mini games that he applied within the game. It was cool about it is you gave this this different feel without trying to introduce or create a whole other game to do a one shot. Yeah, I literally. So I'll, I'm going to put this in the show notes uh, so you guys can all link to it. There was an article I wrote about this game and I included the picture that I had found online, which I mean, we don't have the rights to or anything. So I hope Joe Hill or whoever doesn't sue us. But, sue the you know, crap out of us. <laughs> but it was, in essence, Christmas Land, which is this vampiric kind of twisted Christmas place that he takes the children to to, you know, whatever. And it already had it all laid out for me. So I just had to say, okay, well, this is a game. Uh, This is the area where you meet St. Nick and Santa Claus and Father Christmas, but they're just three frost giants and they want to have a snowball fight or the, the roller coaster and the, the, the entryway to the roller coaster was this giant mouth and tongue that started to pull you in and like traps were going off and things like that, you know, but then you could also go buy hot chocolate and, you know, maybe heal yourself a little bit or become immune to cold for a while, whatever. 
No, but yeah. I, it, something like that, the way that map was automatically changed it, right? Like it, but it had that kind of board game feel like Candyland or something like that. Like you see it and you're like, oh, hey, it's going to be fun. It had a twisted fun to it too, but it kind of, it changed it. It was different than your traditional, to Tony's point, all the maps beforehand have been like, right? Like a windmills and cliffs and castles and stuff like yeah, that. Bam, and this is like, like some, marshes. Yeah, this, is some, this is some amusement park with a bit of a whimsy to it, right? Along with it being kind of evil yeah hawk was like thank god i don't give a shit it's haunted this is great <laughs> just give me something else and i believe hawk became the christmas queen that we don't year. talk about that uh, by, that will not be in his biography riddles. it was the only time i put riddles in my game though so there you go i will say that is somewhat similar because i think there's something to that in that uh, so we were playing on roll 20 for that game so it was just on the screen but if I was going to run that now, I would have printed that out and put it on a piece of poster board and put it on the table in the same way that I was trying to. We talked a little bit about like the hex crawl idea, and I was borrowing um, things from the Firefly, the board game, uh, some of their travel mechanics as you fly through the verse. And I was really I love that game and I was super into it. So I was like, I think I can do something with this for a hex crawl. And I had Scott. Uh, print out the Calaman region and Northern Wastes map from from the Dragon from Shadow of the Dragon Queen, and I had them blow it up and put it on poster board. So it became a, like a big board, and we had little pieces that we could move. Now it hasn't worked in the way that I was hoping, but it's the beginning of something there. But I think there's something to that. That having a board out there is it changes your focus, right? Well, I mean, it's it's a game at heart right like sometimes we love theater of the mind and all that but there's something to right you're playing on something like there's something there whether it's terrain or it's a board or something like that like it it, it part of the game just as much as the dice is right like yeah. the, the stuff that you're working with it, it really can be i mean back in the day uh there was a mechanic in one of the Final Fantasies where you would buy all these troops and could do it against an, a battle against an opposing army. And I threw that in one of my 2E games, and that was fun. You know, if you're doing like a medium stake kind of battle, but one of the problems with that is also you have to be careful. You don't want to make too much of an like too much of a focus on it whether the stakes are too high or a real pivotal aspect of the game could tip in one direction or the other. And you're like, well, crap, I bought too many pikemen you know like what you used to be in a party like can Scott i rage can that, i get out there? but yeah not a lot of people want to do it no i think it, it, one of the things i thought about beforehand was uh the dinosaur racing from uh tomb, tomb of annihilation. annihilation yeah where it's uh a game and it's in there and it's something you could do for fun and bet on but your characters are riding on it you have to think it, but it's it has that element of it where it's it adds something new and different for your players to experience right like but it still kind of keeps it there for them versus playing something like chess or something like that so that would be interesting to put something like that in we could do like a harry potter uh chess match thing oh <laughs> like this like, down now like the yes. wizard chess where you're like yeah that's a, like the piece this is going to be the net one of the next return to the further episodes is going to be some wizard well, chess i think Chris, it's actually funny because the 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 dragon race um well not the, the sorry the the dinosaur races in tomb of annihilation i remember that um because i think i won some money on that one and then things like that having games like that or carnival games or fair games festival games 
But I think even being able to take it, we were doing Tomb online. So, again, we were on Roll20, so it was on screen. But I could even see taking something like that and turning it into a quick, like a board game thing, like a racing board game where there's certain mechanics. I know there's this one game we used to play at work at our Christmas party. It was like a horse racing game. It was like you would have to roll like some D6s, and if you hit a number, your horse gets out. And then you're betting on which horse is going to win. And it kind of goes through rounds. It's very, uh, very fun and stuff, especially when you're throwing money down on it. Um, but I could see something like that, literally just taking a, something small and putting it out. Or if you're th- playing three dragon ante, right? Like that's the D&D card game that, that they're always playing in the in the tavern. Yeah, the, yeah. right? So literally having a card game that's going out, you know, something physical, something um, something tangible like that. So uh, during Storm King's Thunder, there was a point where uh, we had an airship race. Mm. The party had been upgrading their ship, and they came across this really heavy player who was a frost giant who was not in the module. He was a Tony special. He was one of the uh, children of of the frost giant god Therm, and he had an original spell jamming ship, which was basically a chariot that's pulled by white dragons, and that is actually a thing. And you, I let him run into the, the uh, him at some point, and he had an artifact on him, and the only way to defeat him was either physically, which the party couldn't do, or defeat him in a race. So this encouraged them to go upgrade their ship and then challenge him to a race. So I created basically 10 different stages where there were different types of checks. I had everybody in the party involved in steering the ship, keeping it together, and all this stuff, the ship could take damage, and it was, and you could see physically on the map, I was moving where everybody was, so it was, like, really on the table, and that was fun, that was definitely a change of pace, it was, like, maybe, what, a quarter of the game? It certainly wasn't yeah, the I whole mean, game, if, or near if, if even that, yeah, and I to tell you the truth, Tone, that's very much on, on brand for you, because you have a way of being able to take uh, the, the existing game mechanics, and turn them into something different to utilize them in a way that that other people wouldn't where I'm thinking like with that type of thing or with like the dinosaur racing, like like literally this tangible thing in front of you, like a game where where you could move pieces and kind of take you out of D&D mode. <clears throat> but we did that in, in essence, an extended skill challenge. And I think that's exactly what you also did with the murder mystery game that you just ran for us this past weekend. That was uh, because to tell you the truth, the first thing I thought that you were going to put out on the table was a clue board that you had modded out or something (laughs) similar that you had modded out as the castle where the King had been killed. And we were brought in to investigate this thing uh, because we're literally gods in this multiverse at this point. I mean, we're all these level 20 with boons and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I was waiting for you to drop this, like, a modded out clue board, and we didn't, but you ran it in a way that was very clue-like, and you could see the the inspiration you had taken from the game, but also in a way that was a little more apropos for 5e, for D&D, for, not for battle and combat, but for exploration, for skills, things of that nature, that really turned it into a real mystery, I thought. The reason why I didn't go with the with the board, and I'm sure uh, Wizard Washburn could have whipped one up in like a day and a half. I would have been like, oh, you think uh, you could do this, Scott? And he's like, well, let me see what I could do. 
next morning at 9 a.m., he'll send me a picture to be like, he'd be done. So yeah, he would, it wouldn't have been a board. It would have been a three-dimensional <laughs> castle. Yeah, that he would have been taking parts places. off. Of, yeah, this is yeah, the no, second no. level. This I, is the third level. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, uh, Scott, uh, here's the um, the diagram of Storwin Castle. Do you think you could, I don't know, replicate this by Sunday? Yeah, that, that you would have gotten it. I don't want to get too far off here, but just in terms of what we're talking about, like he literally has that right now. He had built in the Woodstock game our keep that we had gotten as uh, as Wardens of the East, and he built it, and it's levels. So you literally pull off the level, and it has all the rooms in it, and it goes like three or four levels high. It's, it's ludicrous, but please continue. So... so- why I didn't go with a board was because I positively loathe almost as much as shopping, splitting the party. And that that kind of a board would have encouraged everyone to start moving their pieces. Professor Plum would have been over there and then Miss Scarlet would have been over there. And now I'm running all these individual games and it would, it would have gotten choppy. It would have been like much more bandwidth would have been used. Now, a castle in D&D is such a you know, fertile ground to run a murder mystery. But and as I put in the article that it's coming out soon, you don't need to explore every room, nor do you want to every room in this castle. That's insanity. You'll be exploring this castle, looking for clues for freaking weeks. It'd be ridiculous. Like you know, you gotta contain that to like mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten rooms, and you're gonna call it. Well, no, we should yeah, totally think, hit done. Yeah. Totally I think hit. it has to have a, that game part, like the. If you lay the board down, though, then all of a sudden maybe it takes a turn where it gets less about 5e, kind of to Dave's point, and more about the board and moving people around like that. Like when we did um, your board game, or your board game, your birthday game, um, and we were in Sigil, and you met the guy, and he was uh, he was from Sir Miltonus Brad of Lee, right? And we played like the game, and they were just skill challenges. It was like oh, Candyland totally and stuff like that. So that. I could throw it up there, and we could roll up a skill challenge, but it still it was like it was quick it was brief it had some like uh some flavor to it but it wasn't super deep but no and you took us through like battleship and access and allies yes, and monopoly yes. and risk and like <laughs> yeah and like that they were fun. like these quick little montages i totally forgot about that oh my god yeah, yeah. absolutely i mean we didn't get deep into them i just turned you know this one was a acrobatics challenge like Candyland or something like that versus a, like something wisdom based for like uh you know access and allies or something but i don't know it adds it like to all of our points i mean i think it adds some cool whimsy when you introduce different things like that so much of the game is dark or whatever like that you know and so much of it is the same sort of thing over and over again so Getting a chance to do something a little different and whimsical is fun. It's memorable. And you're right. You used existing mechanics for that. But one of the things I liked about the birthday game you ran for me was because you had a battle structured and we all went out there and used all our cool stuff and all that great. But you had a timer and you're like, I'm cutting it here. And then you rolled up the game. So like, this is how we're going to solve the devil versus, you know, the Curse of Strahd team or, you know. I remember I had shouted the devil. I had like the devil's band. You guys were fighting the devil's band there at the end too. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that which is more memorable than you know we fought a bunch of hill giants, or at least it can be. Yeah, no, I think it. They, and it's pretty. They're fairly easy to introduce into your things as long as you use little pieces. Like I didn't go deep with it. Like I had the idea, like oh it could be things, and then I'm like, all right, so like. 
let's just do these as skill challenges. And then the hardest part was like, decide, you know, I looked up all the Milton Bradley games, right? So you got to pick those. But then I'm like, all right, so what's the skill challenge here, right? Like, and that was the most work that I really had to do. And people have fun with it, you know? And it kind of, you know, it goes pretty good. It's like that one is difficult. Skill challenges for um, high-level characters are just like, uh, they're just a, I don't know, a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, like, it, to a point, yeah, to yeah. a point, because you're dealing with people that have yeah, such... Yeah, I'm going to have to go DC 30 if I want a chance for people to have a slight chance of failing these things, so... Which is, is one of the issues you run into with, um, for instance, like with the murder mystery game. Um, so if you're just like, so it was set up that Tony had said he's going to be running a murder mystery and we said, okay, well, who can we bring? He said, doesn't matter. You can bring anyone. Doesn't really matter the level. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that's, that's intriguing because how does it, how does the level not matter here? Right. But the thing is, is in that type of situation, you start to run into exactly what I was trying to pull back from slightly where I brought my bard Roderick. And from the previous birthday game where we fought Tiamat and we got we went over all of that, the massive 12 player thing. <laughs> right. So I I became 20th level and or I was 20th level. No, we became 20th level and we got some boons. And one of the boons I took was immortality. But the other one was um, skill proficiency, because right from the very top, when I had built Roderick out because he was such a skill monkey. And because Tony, when while we went through Storm Kings, I was gaining skill proficiencies kind of as rewards for doing certain things. I was like, I want to become proficient in every skill. And with that one, I finally filled out the last three that I had. But that means now I'm proficient in everything. And I'm running with a plus six proficiency bonus. And my uh, intelligence and charisma have been boosted up too. So I'm rolling now with like a persuasion with my expertise at a plus 18. Yeah, so, so I'm really great at investigation with history, with, you know, persuasion, deception, all this kind of stuff. And then Matt is bringing Fiangle, clan chief, right? The dwarven fighter who's not necessarily that great at that and it creates some of that well you don't want to rely too much on one person you know it's like every time scar was rolling something out it was like at a minus one because you're persuading <laughs> he is not an investigator he can hit things hard and uh intimidate this so one of the things um, when you i created uh this mini game or actually this entire game for uh oh, jen's yeah. birthday uh i wanted to have guidelines and what I did not want to see happen was have someone like Roderick or any character just roll into a room and be like, I rolled a 24 investigation. What do I find? Because they'll whip through every room in the castle. They'll incite everybody who talks. And those things can help you and they can open doors. But I didn't want them to solve the problems. That's not the spirit of Clue. I understand that it hits against D&D a little bit. But in the spirit of Clue, you had to determine who was the murderer, you know, how were they murdered, what was the motive, did they have an accomplice, all of these things. And that was true to the source material then. It's it's something different, right? It's not like – like otherwise, like we would just start intimidating people. And oh, God. <laughs> like it would have just broken Use out. torture. <laughs> oh, start pulling yeah, people's yeah. fingernails on like, yeah. Wizards. 
I got Luke whispered. He's like, Zone of Truth. I got Zone of Truth, like, on the table. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no. You know, I this remember, is like, yeah. I remember uh, <laughs> Jacob, our, our nephew, uh, when we were playing Bonnie's Family's game, um, he ran, he tried to run a murder mystery, and I had a palette and Aaron Pendragon, actually. And uh, I just cast Zone of Truth. <laughs> because, like, Welcome it's just like right? double like, middle fingers to your murder I mean, and not in a way, I wasn't trying to like game the game. I was just like, oh, I have zone of truth. Oh, let's use it, right? Because yeah, when do you get to use it? So yeah. in the same way that in the in when we were descending through the layers of hell in the previous uh, birthday game, it seems like we're talking more about birthday games than anything else these days. Um, yeah. um, when we were going through hell. Tony was like, I don't want them to fly over the module, right? Because everyone can cast fly, and if they can't cast fly, they could probably get carried. So like, or shape change, or teleport. Right. Exactly. So you you create some level of guidelines, right? And I like that idea, Chris. That that difference between the objective and the like, I, I don't know how to put it, but like the object the objective of what you're trying to do in this separate type of game versus the realities of how D&D plays, whatever edition you're playing. And this is where I think it comes in, because I know we're very, we're still somewhat divided in the Dragonlands campaign uh, among the party as to the Warriors of Kryn implementation and not. And it's kind of split a little bit. You know, some people are kind of, they're agnostic about it. Some are really into it. Some are not at all. But overall, but me as the DM, I'm really liking it, even though I'm not playing the game and I'm just literally running the game like a DM because what it's what it's doing is it's creating that thing. So, Chris, you said a really good point is that when you're in that game, you're not Rasguedo like you're Rasguedo, but you're not quite because you you don't have like for now, like you have your new loot, your magical. Oh, I love that loot. Right. But like in the game, in the like in the Warriors of Crin scenarios, it's not necessarily like factored in. So it's like, well, cool. I can't do that in the same way in like a murder mystery. Well, I can't cast zone of zone of truth. Right. Yeah. No, good point. But it's that the objective of what you're trying to create with, whether it's a mini game or a whole separate uh, session where you're just introducing this thing as opposed to the other sessions. Cause I will say it's one of the few times in the Dragonlands campaign where it really hit you guys hard when you lost that one scenario. And like that bolstered the team to be like, we're taking care of this. Like it was that, it was that loss that makes you get up and say like, you know what? Screw this. We're killing these guys, you know, well, and that's not something that we were, you were necessarily running into in the same way in, in the normal battle scenarios, you know, even though they were hard, it was different. The dynamic was greatly different because, you know, in the normal game, like in the for example, previous game you ran, we took on an encampment. We went there and, oh, and handled business. And because we're, we're a team, we're working together, you know, for what fourteen sessions at this point, or or more for counting the board games. And we know our abilities and what we could do, and you know what we could, we could bite off without like choking on it. But you go into the board game, we're not as proficient with it. We're just not. And it operates differently. And now suddenly you're really keenly dependent. The focus is now away from you as players, but on your forces. And you're conducting forces over multiple flanks, which is something we don't do in game. We don't. I mean, I could be a commander, but I'm not commanding an army. I'm out in the wastelands doing, you know, paladin shit. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> paladin I'm not, shit. Well, that, and 
And that's the like that's that point that the difference between ob- I don't even know how we would put it, but objective versus uh, spirit of the game or something or your normal session or whatever it might be. But in a way that this play uh, for me, it plays out in a way that is very it's the for, it's the most um, fulfilling way of ha- we've done mass combat that I've had yet in any of our in any of our games. It's really captured a level of of mass combat and the fog of war. I mean, it fills out stuff in there about it being a war that's going on that we don't get normally. I mean, we do encounter encampments, but we don't encounter whole armies. Like it would be, a, we'd probably get killed at this point if we encountered like a whole army. A couple levels will be, you know, will be better. Oh, but, by uh, yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you, even at level 20, you still would just because of the level of the forces involved, you know? So it opens up different opportunities for us, for sure. And, you know, it is a campaign which is heavily military. So I get that. And that's good to bring that spirit to it. So that's a positive aspect of it. But the things that you can't do, like, for example, when we're on this board game with three and four or five fronts, if we were playing this in 5e, we'd be like, Dave, we, you know, beeline to the goal. We take down the commander. We grab the spy. We get out of here. If we had done that on 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 a 5e map, we probably would have cleared it, but because all this other stuff was happening, yeah. we couldn't. But there was no way you could run all this stuff because, you know, you're not commanding 40 different units of troops. You know, it would have been impossible. Every round would have been like yeah. 25 No, it's, it's, it would be impossible to run it as a as a DM in that way, like literally running the troops. Like it, it has built out the mechanics to kind of run itself in a way. I go cross-eyed if there's more than, like, five enemies on the board. I'm like, oh, exactly. Christ, like, some of these guys are dying early. <laughs> exactly. But that's what I'm saying. That's why I remember back in when we were playing, this is uh, this idea that I've had of this has started years ago when we were playing the Game of Thrones, the board game from Fantasy Flight. Awesome. Very, oh, they, their games are, are uh, some of the most beautiful products out there. But the Game of Thrones, the board game, is really fun because it really kind of captures the spirit of of the novels and the show, Um, the the idea of this backstabbing and this, you know, this constant contest for, you know, winner take all type of thing. But I was always like, man, I wonder how I could put this into a campaign and literally run like a Game of Thrones kind of campaign where when certain huge things would happen, we would go to the board. And we would figure out these massive battles. But then you pull back kind of like way back to the earliest iterations of the game when they had all of this war gaming. And they said, well, what if I was one guy in this in this army? And then they developed this idea of this one guy. And now it's like this back and forth between them. But th- that's where I was really jazzed to be able to try to play with this because it it's trying to do that. It's trying to 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 bond the the kit bash these two things together you know you know it just i suddenly had an idea like you could just set up 1942 right with all your troops there that could be your board and it just exists the whole time while you're playing and forces are moving around and happening and so they very often like it could naturally sort of evolve and you'd have to move through those areas but i'm gonna start i i got two good ideas tonight it's the, the 1942 board, but something similar to your Game of Thrones idea where that's a very good idea is that 
especially if you want to take the entry beyond the individual level, right? Like, the, I mean, they're skirmish games. So it, I think that's part of what Tony's saying a little bit, too. Sometimes when you take it from skirmish to a large battle thing, there's a bit of a lift there, right? Like, it's designed to be sort of solo-y, but I'm going to start working on something like that. That's like a... I could do that. There's got to be a well, good war game. There's got to be a good World well, that's, War II game. That's, that's that actually can, why. That's really funny, Chris, because that's what Tony and I were talking about amongst ourselves. So was it for was it for Christmas last year, Tony, or your birthday or something? But I had gotten you the uh, oh, Lord of the Rings game. The Lord of the Rings board game. I forget which one it is exactly, because um, there's so many out there. But is it like Journeys in Middle Earth or something it, like yeah. that? Well, that's it's massive. Game. It's this massive, like, you know, tile board game, and you're going through Middle Earth, and it takes you through. And you have, like, an app that you yes. also download yeah, that, man. like, runs you through as kind of like your DM. And it's kind of – it feels a little D&D-ish. And we were like, oh, man, like – how much could we get, you know, could we get Chris to run us through Middle Earth and use this thing, too? And now, so you started to build out your Middle Earth campaign that we're probably going to jump into next when when something wraps up. Um, <laughs> but that was the original thought was utilizing that game as the big, this is what's happening with the journey towards. Well, I mean, Mount I will. Here. But it's not like that's the only thing that's happening. That's just what the camera was on or that's what the page was on. But what else is happening that then could affect the board game and back and forth? It's just, you know, it's that type of like, what, how how do we do that, you know? No, and I think that'd be good. And I think I actually will leverage some of that stuff uh, when I run it, especially for something like the maps and stuff, if they had like that kind of things in there, because there's some cool thing. I did. The one that you got me, just the adventure book game, has all the little figurines. They don't have Gandalf, of course, but they have everybody else there, and they're all having to paint them. I'm like, I got uh, a whole no, set yeah, here. I got all the hobbits and everything like that. And I've seen people leave. do it. I Because uh, I had gotten Bonnie originally, the the that he had come out, the Ravensburger, their adventure book games they came out with the princess bride originally uh and i got it for bond because it's like one of her favorite movies and we played through it and it's so fun because it's just it literally opens up and it takes you through the story so when i saw they did lord of the rings and i think wizard of oz too and like just going through the story but it was a way in which oh well this could be something i could pull out as a quick let's do this as part of the session or something like that you know Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought up Fantasy Flight because uh, for Chris's birthday game uh, in her descent to hell, you know, as I may have mentioned, there was, you know, a ass ton of players there. And there's no way like, you know, we're going to get to the final battle without some battles. So a mechanic I hijacked from one of the Call of Cthulhu board games was there was a scenario and say like a mob of devils was coming by, for example. And you could, you know, do a skill check to hide. You could try to um, use Arcana to magically disguise yourself. Or you could do fight checks to bash your way through. Mm. That, that was, like, straight out of there. I pulled it. That's how that entire game works. Like, you go to a portal. You want to shut it down. How are you going to do it? You, you know, you do these more – it streamlines it. It gives you the feeling that you are doing combat. And if you fail, the fight checks are taking damage or have negative effects. But it's not strictly role play and skill challenges, but it is, but it has more of like you're not losing out on that. I think, 
I think it streamlines it nicely, right? You're dealing with things like, I don't want to have to roll for every guy that's running by you to see if he actually hits you. And then, oh, there's damage on that, you know, and stuff like that. So it makes it much more fluid. And you get the feeling like, you know, you get rushed by a bunch of people. You don't want to keep waiting for, like, the die rolls. Like, does this guy hit me? So I think that way it worked a lot better. Oh, no, that was that was a, a great mechanic that you would put in there. I didn't get to the to use it when I was running my piece because uh, they didn't fight any of the 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 people they ran into. But it was an interesting one where it became more of a skill challenge and there was damage and, and, and negative effects happening. But it wasn't a I hit you, you hit me, I hit you, you hit me, which we know is the cornerstone of D&D. But it's also the the sloggiest part of it, you know, especially when you're trying to get to something else in the game. That, I was going to say, that'd be a great name for a book. I hit you, you hit me. Destroy your <laughs> DMD. <laughs> <laughs> like an instruction manual. Uh, uh, that's true that. yeah, like, literally, that's it. Like, let's just keep going back and forth here. Let's, you know. But it's good. You always have to look for other uh, outside inspiration because, you know, we've been gaming for so long. We're always looking for fresh material. At one point, one of my friend's kids asked me, she, she said, Tony, how many monsters do you think you fought for the monster manual? And I'm like, um, all of them. I'm going with all of them. I mean, <laughs> in some iteration, at least. Yeah, in some reincarnation of myself. Yeah, so I think it's about that time. So we kind of delved into this topic, but it's something that uh, is probably going to be ongoing and growing. And we'd love to hear if any of you guys have also done this or or attempted anything like this. But um, let's get to some final thoughts here, kind of taking existing games that we love, whether it's board games or other things or game mechanics from other other not necessarily other systems, but other other games entirely and modding them, kit bashing them into our games. So to spice things up, change it up. You don't want your players to always assume that this is the way every game is going to be in a structure. It could be like most of the time, but, you know, the change is always welcome. The palate cleanser where I took that mechanic from Call of Cthulhu, the streamlined large combats, that was fun, or the racing, that was a nice change of pace within a game. In all these situations, it wasn't the game. It was just something different to do within the game to move it along to make it fresh and interesting. The clue game really was the whole game. Yeah. And I laid out gu- guidelines and I said, hey, because it's Anthean law, you cannot use physical or magical coercion. And everyone's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but it made people rely on their wits. I kind of kept skill checks in bounds where, you know, I just didn't let everybody just investigate or use insight to, to unravel and auto solve problems. You want to avoid that. Just like you don't want your 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 uh your party flying over all the monsters, those ten encounters you set up. You know, you wanted to have you they can be clever and avoid things, but skipping everything, who what fun is that for anybody? Yeah, no, I mean like Tony said, for spice, add a little fun. I mean, make sure you're keeping them so that they're focused on the characters there. Make sure that you have good guidelines. I think that's the most important thing, kind of to your point with the flying and other things like that. Make sure the players all agree on it. And then it's a great way to get from the slug of, you know, as much as I love regular D&D, I was like, ah, I'm going to go fight something. But it's there's like it it's something that adds a little different flavor to games and stuff like that. And a little bit of extra fun 
And people react to it differently, right? When they see pictures of board games or they see the board come out or something like that, it's a little different than it is with just the regular D&D games. Absolutely. I would say uh, I got three separate ways in which you can kind of approach it. Uh, The first is as its own special little thing as a special treat, like the Christmas in Barovia, which thank you for reminding me. I kind of forgot about that one. But again, it's going to be linked in the show notes so you guys can go check out that article. But something that is just it's this own session. This is just something special. It was a holiday themed game. And then we move on with the rest of it. You have the complete intermingling of the two, like they're doing with the Dragonlance campaign, where there's literally a whole game that is part of that that plays out something like mass combats or something like that. Like I said, it's something I was thinking back on how to do even with when I was playing some of the strategy games like, you know, Game of Thrones and things of that nature. And then whenever you're playing any kind of game, but especially things like board games, because there's really they put a lot of work and a lot of design into how they're building these mechanics to work in a turn-based system with the rules, whatever it might be. And it can turn, if there's something mechanic, keep your eyes open when you're, when you're playing games, because there might be something where you go, that's exactly what I've been looking for. Much like when I saw the way Firefly, the board game had their travel mechanic with a deck of cards in essence and things could happen or you could just keep flying it made travel more consequential and much more random and i said this is something that you could turn into trying to do a large hex crawl uh which is what we've now been kind of like developing and prototyping um so three different ways that you can kind of approach taking these taking games you love or, or or mechanics you love and putting them into the game to make it something even more special and even more unique and your own. So uh, that's going to be it for us. So obviously uh, this is not a listener question. This is a question or more just a topic that we've been dealing with. And I'm thinking that it's something that a lot of DMs are probably have thought about or are thinking about or are trying to do. Um, but if you do have any questions or problems please reach out to us. We're DMs with problems. We love to help DMs with problems. So you can reach us at our website, threewisedms.com. You can reach our Gmail at threewisedms at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, We're active on all those socials. As I say each week, uh, we are rolling a lot of dice in board games. You're rolling a lot of dice at your D&D table. So you should roll... The dice from fanrolldice.com slash ref slash 2871. That's our affiliate link. Uh, You get 10% off your whole order if you go there. So go there if you want. Anyway, that's going to be it for this week. And as we do each week, we're going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. Thank you all who are listening from home for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. We really appreciate the support. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating in your podcast platform. That kind of thing really helps us get the word out. If you would like to hear us answer your question, go to threewisedms.com, enter in the what's your problem field, or send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're active on all those channels. We love it when you ask us questions that we can answer on the air, and we'd love to help you with your problems whenever we can. Or at least maybe just talk and give you some perspective or you just hear us ramble about them and 
crap we've seen players do. Yes, and it clears it clears your mind of the yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, we can commiserate, all right? <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird form of ASMR. It just calms you. <laughs> we do, we do. We, we love we love getting your, your questions and being able to help you with your actual problems. Keep sending those. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Rewise DMs.